Hey, welcome to episode number 44 of More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your host, Bible reader, and the pastor of Calvary in State College, Pennsylvania. This podcast, More Than Bread, is all about the value of the Word of God. We need the words of God for life even more than we need bread. In the first 40-plus episodes of More Than Bread, we did a fast track through the whole New Testament. In this episode, we're starting a deeper dive into the Gospel of John. So let me remind you just a bit about John and his gospel. John was one of the inner core of Jesus' team, Peter, James, and John. You hear those three names together all the time. And and, and most consider John to be Jesus' closest friend, the one referred to in the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was a significant leader in the early church, later a leader of the church in Ephesus, and the writer also of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. His gospel contains many personal touches that come from eyewitnesses, like like the house at Bethany being filled with the fragrance of the broken perfume jar. John's gospel is, well, it's more spiritual. It's more symbolic than the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You might say that it's more theological. In fact, some of the richest theological conversations and teachings take place in John's gospel. He focuses on a series of miracles or signs and a series of statements that Jesus made called the I am statements, like I am the bread of life. The the signs and statements point to Jesus' divinity, to his mission and his role in coming to the earth as the Messiah. So, So watch for those. At the end of John's gospel, he clearly states that his main purpose for the book in chapter 20, verse 31 is this that you may believe. I'm writing these words. I've written this gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So let's jump into John chapter 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, John chapter 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning, the word already existed. Now notice how John is going to take, rather than a nativity scene, he's going to take the the gospel of John all the way back to the book of beginnings. He's, he's hearkening back to the book of Genesis. In the beginning, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist. Now, if you know the story, John the Baptist is kind of like the cousin of Jesus. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. This is so key, my words. This is so key. He gives them the right to become children of God. This is all about not not just being saved or being born again. Those are words that we'll hear in the Gospel of John. This is about becoming part of the family of God. Father God made a way for us to become children of God. They are reborn, verse 13, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human. 
The word that was with God, these are my words, the word that was with God and was God and in the beginning with God and created the world, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Now, before I go um, further in in John chapter 1, let me just say these these first few verses of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through uh, even down to 18, but especially through 14. In fact, some would say that this probably was a hymn in their early church, something they sang. In fact, many of these words are words that they would sometimes hang on a necklace around their necks. These first words about Jesus' divinity, that the word was God and with God. They, They set the stage for everything that John has to say. Verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We didn't need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal." This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look! There is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Before I go further and finish the chapter, I love how this comes together. In the book of Revelation, you see Jesus referred to as both, but often as the, as the Lion of God. But here he's the Lamb of God. You realize the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and the Lion of God who comes as the conquering King, one and the same, one and the same. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. 
They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. <laughs> My word, Jesus still says that to us. He invites us. He doesn't force us, but he invites us to come and see. And I, it's my hope and my prayer that as you read the Gospels, you have this, this sense of coming and seeing who Jesus really is. Verse 39, come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will call, be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see. There's those words again. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. The Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. If I were to give John chapter 1 a title, I think it would be something like a messy love story. In the beginning, Jesus, the Word, was with God and, and he was God. He created everything, John says. Nothing was created except through him. He gave life to everything that was created. His life was like a shining light that brought light to everyone. But the world was dark. The world was dark. So the light shines in the darkness. John called the mess darkness. There's a lot of messy darkness in our world today, right? Politics, racial division, violence. More than 820 million people around the world will go to sleep hungry tonight. And they aren't on a diet. They, they just don't have enough food. Chronic malnourishment. 300,000 women around the world will die giving birth because they lack proper maternal care. Almost 90% of those deaths are in the sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. Count out four seconds. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. 1,004. Somewhere around the world, a child under the age of five just died from preventable poverty conditions. Name an issue. Sex trafficking, refugees, immigrants, orphans worldwide, not just somewhere else. In our own country, every year, 23,000 kids age out of foster care without a family to call their own. If you haven't noticed, the world is in a bit of a mess. And it's not just somewhere out there. Kids get sexually abused in our community, in your neighborhoods. Kids get bullied. People wrestle with hunger and homelessness in our communities. People are overcome with, with depression and, and commit suicide. Our community, your community, our neighborhoods are not immune to darkness and mess. 
There's some mess in every one of our happy valleys. Relational mess, health mess, job mess. I, I know people struggling with all three. We, we want to thrive. We want to flourish. We're, we're looking for more life, but man, it's a mess. I just think back to some conversations from the last few weeks, a, a marriage that's moving through some hard places, a request to pray for two people struggling with cancer, someone dealing with a child, making decisions that are taking their life into a deep, dark pit, uh, uh, somebody struggling with a family member who died from COVID, a, a husband struggling just to provide for his family. The Word gave life to everything that was created, John said, and his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The darkness cannot extinguish the light. No matter how big the mess or how great the darkness, if the light has come, the darkness can never extinguish it. What is John saying? He's saying that Jesus is the light, and he came to the world because the world is dark. It was dark when Jesus came. I mean, the particular place and time of Jesus' birth was the time of Caesar Augustus. And Augustus had a dream inspired by Alexander the Great that if you want peace on earth, you need one culture ruled by one government led by one ruler. Augustus' dream was reaching its height at the time of Christ. During the time of Christ, they called this dream the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. It was pure propaganda. It was marketing. It was the rewriting of history more than reality. The peace was filled with terror. The Roman army went into countries and said, here's our peace, submit to us or die. The Roman general Pompey, who died about 45 years before Christ, boasted of taking 12 million slaves in 1,500 towns. A dozen years before Christ was born, the Roman general Germanicus quelled revolts north of Rome it was written of him that he slaughtered the population across the Rhine. This was, this was the peace of Rome. It wasn't uncommon to travel around the Roman Empire and see dozens, hundreds being crucified. The, the world was dark, and it still is. A mess, and it still is. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came because the world is dark, life is a mess, not just in big macro ways, but in here, in personal ways, in my heart, in your heart, because there is even a darkness in our hearts. In fact, John highlights this personal shade of darkness in John 1, 10 through 11, when he writes, he, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. It's a messy love story. So often, even today, this is the case. Even in the midst of the darkness, as the light shines, Christ is not recognized, and he is often rejected, and yet we are relentlessly pursued. This is John's messy love story, stated so beautifully in, in verse 14. John writes, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one, and only son. If you have your Bible out in front of you, underline or circle those words, made his home among us. The Greek word is eskenosin. Eskenosin. And it literally means he pitched his tent among us. <laughs> he put up a tent among us. Not even the walls, you know, not a gated community, not even the walls of a house, just a tent. He, he put a tent in our backyard so he could be close to us. He tabernacled with us. He dove deep into our mess. He went camping in our darkness. When you go camping, I'm, I'm talking about real camping, not RVs and Marriott's. When you're really camping, man, you know it. Sometimes it's called roughing it 
If it rains, you're wet. If it's cold or hot, so are you. If it's hard, your life is hard. If conditions are messy, your life is messy. In the beginning, the word was with God. He was home, but he left home to do a deep dive into our mess with his glory. So amazing. Jesus wants to camp out in your life. He doesn't want there to be any walls between you and him. He wants to be close. Eat at his table. Sit at his campfire with all your mess. This God who so loved the world. This is a messy love story. Another chapter in the continuing love story of God. And you know the Bible and life it is filled with these love stories. Such relentless love. We are loved even in the mess. I could take you to scripture after scripture that tells the same story. You are loved in the mess. The light relentlessly pursues you in your darkness, us in our darkness. The love of God relentlessly pursues us in our mess. Matt Chandler writes about a time he and a couple of his friends invited a young woman named Kim to a gospel concert. Matt was hopeful that Kim would come to Christ that evening. However, what occurred was a train wreck. Chandler writes, the preacher took the stage in disaster and sued. He gave a lot of statistics about STDs. There was a lot of, you don't want syphilis, do you? And his big illustration was take out, to take out a single red rose. He smelled the rose dramatically and caressed its petals and talked about how beautiful this rose was and how it had been fresh cut that day. And then he threw the rose into the crowd and he encouraged everyone to pass it around. At the end of his message, he asked for the rose back, but now it was broken drooping the petals were falling off he he held up this now ugly rose for all to see and his big finish line was this now who in the world would want this his word and his tone were merciless his essential message which was supposed to represent jesus message to a world of sinners was this hey don't be a dirty rose matt didn't hear from kim for a few weeks until one day her mother called matt to inform him that kim had been in an accident Matt immediately went to visit her, and in the middle of their conversation, seemingly out of nowhere, she asked him, Do you think that I'm a dirty rose? Forget the dirty rose for a minute. Do you hear the question behind her question? Who would want me? My life is a mess. Who would want me? And, and John's answer is Jesus does. He dives deep into our mess. He sees beyond the dirt and the brokenness. He sees who you were created to be. He loves you and he's pursuing you in the midst of the mess. Listen to me. Jesus knows all about the mess. During his time on earth, he was intimately impacted by the mess of the world, the mess of rejection, the mess of violence and injustice, the mess of betrayal, the mess of hunger, the mess of poverty, the mess of loss. The word became flesh pitched its tent among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. If you're not familiar with true Christianity, this may come as a shock to you, but true Christianity is not simply an invitation to become a better person. It's not primarily a program for cultural reformation. It's not a political party or simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's an invitation to live the life you've been seeking, connecting with Christ, and this is where it all starts. The, the focus on John's gospel is Christ, the Son of the living God. We, we're going to read of miracles and signs, and for that day, seemingly outrageous statements about his identity and his role, but these signs and statements are more than miracles and insights. They're meant to reveal something about God. Don't focus so pointedly on the signs that you miss the one to whom the sign points. See, finding life is all about Jesus. It, it, it is this invitation to know him and follow him and love him and become like him. It's all about Jesus because the word Jesus gives life. 
This man who claimed to be God, who lived as a servant and died like a criminal, was resurrected as a king. This man who's called the word, the word of God, God in the flesh, the God who speaks. Don't miss this. The connection between Jesus and the word. It's almost like God speaks and every time he opens his mouth, Jesus comes out. So here's what I want you to do for just a few moments as we close. I just want you to imagine that you're with Jesus, sitting by a fire in a little cabin or taking a walk in the afternoon on the beach or on a path with the, the, the wind gently blowing, cup of coffee in hand, <laughs> and simply say, Jesus, speak. I'm listening. John chapter 1 is such a great chapter. Let me read it again from the message paraphrase. The word was first, the word present to God, God present to the word. The word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him, nothing, not one thing came into being without him. What came into existence was life and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness could not put it out. There once was a man, his name was John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light he came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life he brings into light. He was in the world and the world was there through him. And yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and, what, and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called, this is the one. The one I told you was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He's always been ahead of me, has always had the first word. We live off of his generous abundance, gift after gift after gift. We, we got the basics from Moses. And then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all of this comes through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. When Jews from Jerusalem sent a group of priests and officials to ask John who he was, he was completely honest. He didn't evade the question. He told the plain truth, I am not the Messiah. They pressed him, who then? Elijah, I am not. The prophet, no. Exasperated, they said, who then? We, we need an answer for those who sent us. Tell us something, anything about yourself. I'm thunder in the desert, John said. Make the road straight for God. I'm doing what the prophet Isaiah preached. Those sent to question him were from the Pharisee party. They had a question of their own. If you're neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet, why do you baptize? And John answered, I only baptize using water. A person you don't recognize has taken his stand in your midst. He comes after me, but he is not second place to me. I'm not even worthy to hold his coat for him. These conversations took place in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing at the time. The very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and yelled out, Here he is, God's Passover lamb. He forgives the sins of the world. This is the man I've been talking about, the one who comes after me, but is really ahead of me. I know nothing about who he was. 
only this, that my task has been to get Israel ready to recognize him as the God revealer. That is why I came here baptizing with water, giving you a good bath and scrubbing sins from your life so that you can get a fresh start with God. John clinched his witness with this. I watched the spirit like a dove flying down out of the sky, making himself at home in him. I repeat, I know nothing about him except this. The one who authorized me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you see the spirit come down and stay, this one will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what I saw happen. And I'm telling you, there's no question about it. This is the Son of God. The next day, John was back at his post post with two disciples who were watching. He looked up, saw Jesus walking nearby and said, there he is, God's Passover lamb. The two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, what are you after? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come along and see for yourself. They came, saw where he was living, and ended up staying with him for the day. It was late afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. The first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was find his own brother Simon, telling him, We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he immediately led him to Jesus. Jesus took one look up and said, You're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. When he got there, he ran across Philip and said, Come, follow me. Philip's hometown was Bethsaida, the same as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. Nathanael said, Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. But Philip said, Come see for yourself. When Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Nathanael said, where did you get that idea? You don't know me. Jesus answered one day, long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus said, you've become a believer simply because I say I saw you one day sitting under the fig tree. You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending to the Son of Man and ascending again. Let me pray for you. Oh, Spirit of God, would you renew our vision of Jesus? Would you give a vision to us of Jesus as he is? The Word of God made flesh, pitching his tent in our midst. Love and faithfulness, grace and truth revealed. Would you call us like like Simon and Peter and James and John to be your followers? May our voices, may our ears be open to your voice. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.